I, I can't for sure predict the future that says I don't die of pancreatic cancer the same way. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of the it's one of them. I'm not morbid. I don't believe I'm on a collision course with it, but it is a way that it could all work out. And if that's the chance, and like if that I could be one of the options, man, like I got to make my time here worth that ending. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Zero Quit Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Matt Vincent. He's an entrepreneur, athlete, two times Highland Games World Champion, and owner of Not Dead Yet, formerly known as Hate Brand Goods. What's going on, brother? What's up, man? How are you? It's been a pleasure, dude. I'm sorry this has been a a, a cluster trying to get me locked down. (laughs) No, dude. Busy man, busy man, and uh, always always worthwhile to have a good conversation. So, no, it doesn't matter to me at all. First thing I want to ask you, too, is uh, about that old car you got. Um, I don't don't know if it's technically like a muscle car, but uh, what's the story with that? So, I I don't think it's technically a muscle car. So, it's a 1964 uh, Chevy El Camino. Um, Okay. And so, I picked it up. A few years back, it, it, I've always wanted an El Camino. I really dig them. I think they're ridiculous, yeah. and no one else is really into them. Yeah. Um, and relatively useful day-to-day life. I can still run errands and have this truck pick up, and uh, fun car. And so yeah. I really hadn't started looking, and then Bonnie's dad's brother, brother-in-law, mm-hmm. something like that, had one and was interested to part with it, so I picked it up for like, eight grand yeah not bad and it, it runs and drives and all that it's got its issues because it's a 1964 of course. um so i just it got good it back out from of the, the jump though do what was it in good condition from the jump though i mean good condition that it ran and drive Relatively. yeah yeah okay. i mean yeah. hit or miss on some stuff like um you know working windshield wipers are pretty cool and we didn't have those like the windows <laughs> don't roll up and down the doors don't lock uh, none of the mm-hmm. gauges really work but starts and gets from point a to point b and the brakes kind of work yeah there's beauty in the imperfections right and there's beauty in something that's lasted that long yeah so i i dig it i, I yeah. dig it like um you know if i'm looking at like the types of characters and people that i'm inspired by right like there is this kind of overall sense of not fitting in Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, I, I mean, you'd just be well, I mean, ding dong driving a sports car, and I was gonna say not to cut you off, but I mean, we see that a lot with content creation. Um, I mean, you certainly stand out as someone who who creates authentic uh, content that you know is derived solely from your thoughts, your energy, your vibes, and I, I try and do the same as well. And I think that you know we we see it all the time, especially the fitness industry is like the perfect example of this, where you have so many copycats and. Um, almost just reflections of each other of the same image where people, you know, posting the same content or trying to keep up with the Joneses, follow the trends, follow the reels. And, um, you know, as much as those work in the time, as much as, you know, a Lamborghini, a Gallardo, whatever it is, looks awesome now, 50 years from now, are people going to be like hoping to drive that the same way they're driving an El Camino, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. Driving a Lamborghini is super fucking fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) However, driving a Lamborghini every single day it eventually yeah. becomes a car. Yeah, it all becomes relative, right? Yeah, it all becomes relative, yeah. right? And I know for me, like driving this old car and 
leaning more into the things that have always kind of turned me on, right? Like mm -hmm. instead of following those Joneses, instead of following a little bit of the look at me or whatever, whatever that is. And even if it's not mm -hmm. look at me, right? Like, you know, that ain't my vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I, am, I mean, go ahead. You know, I, I am into this. Oh man, it's just fucking cool. It's a fucking cool old car. Like it yeah. has spirit to it and like it kind of is a pain in the ass and you have to be present driving it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a process to work on it. Like I got, I've gotten real enjoyment out of all the things I've really got to build and create. And yeah. whether that started with my original garage gym or it's been the brand or it's been podcasting mm -hmm. and those are all lovely and I'm so proud of them, but creating something like that's a physical thing. It's different. Yeah, it's different and it mm -hmm. gives me a different response. And I know how much that I need some type of a project like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mainly asked because my grandfather, he owns the uh, just like in all his mint condition, uh, red 57 Chevy. And so he's, you know, I, I'm like not a car guy at all, but I have an appreciation for that. And I, you know, see him loving it, working on it. And it was a car. It was like his first car, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. And he eventually was able to buy like uh, one from someone else, got a decent deal back in like the mid 2000s and has have it, had it ever since. Doesn't drive it, but maybe like once a year. But to your point, loves just fixing it up, the appreciation for it. And I can almost relate it to. You know, the idea that we have, uh, you know, conveniences nowadays where whether it's, you know, I know you're a, uh, a coffee enthusiast as well. You know, we have Keurigs that we can just press a button and get coffee, but there is a, a value and a power in the process and working for something and the effort that goes into and the imperfection that goes into a pour over or French press or something that has to be manually done, right? For sure, right? And I also think there's a lot that can come from. I mean, you can kind of treat anything as meditation, right? And I think yeah. we're so distracted and we're so pulled so many different ways uh, right now that we don't focus very well. We don't sit and be present. We don't have that minute to kind of clear our heads and free our thoughts. I mean, how many people mm -hmm. are pouring coffee while scrolling on their phone at bullshit? And yeah. we're drinking coffee and scrolling on their phone at stuff. And, man, I'm, I'm not great at it, but these are things I'm looking to improve. You know, mm -hmm. I know that the the best version of me isn't doing that. You yeah, know, if I, I was watching it. third yeah, person, like, fuck, stop doing that. <laughs> and so yeah. taking some time in the morning to have the extra two or three minutes to do a pour over and like try to give a shit about it and like have the meditation of it, of trying to be, to make it as good of a cup of coffee as you possibly can. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, just you know, there's something to that moment. There is, there is. And I, I heard it recently on a podcast that uh, Alex Friedman did with Sam Harris, where he put it really well, where there's this tension between being and becoming. And we're always fixated on like the becoming and the next thing. And you know, the future work we have to do with the next business venture, whatever it is, but we're not gonna, we, we can't live in the future. We can't live in that becoming. we can only be, we can only be in that moment. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that you really push forward is not looking at life too much because life you can't really predict it so much and you know years from now you know i know you've had big phases of your life where you you know you look three years two years down the road be like i had no no expectations for that at all and i'm the same way like three years ago i would have been like uh 
oh, running absolutely sucks balls. I, I hate yeah, it. Same. It's stupid. I would have never opened a gym, whatever it is. And then years from now, it's like, wow, I opened a gym in a pandemic. I, I ran a 50-mile race, and I'm looking at myself like this is a completely different person than the person that was only bodybuilding and strength training and had that kind of fixed perspective on the world. Uh, and so I think one thing that you really push that maybe you can expand on is the idea of looking at life as, hey, I'm done you know, trying to put these expectations on where I'm going to be five years from now. I'm just going to look at my life from uh, a day perspective or a week perspective and trying to make the most out of this day, this moment, this week. Yeah. So trying to live more in that present tense, right? Like a lot of that came for me when I had that, I don't know, midlife awareness, if you will, mm-hmm. that when my father passed away uh, in mm-hmm. 2014, um, he died of pancreatic cancer and died at 62 the day before my birthday. And I had turned 31 the following day. And I kind of looked at that as if I was halfway through my life. Mm-hmm. And if I am halfway through my life, what, what am I really doing with my time? Am I spending it in obligation to this, these ideas of what happiness is supposed to be and what success is supposed to look like and what other expectations that have been put on me or just the experiences that I grew up around changed my thinking to be this Mm -hmm. or am I chasing something that I really give a shit about Mm -hmm. because I know that I feel the best when I'm chasing the things I give a shit about and so I want to spend my life doing that Mm -hmm. I want to spend my life chasing those things I give a shit about and those things are going to come and go right like I got to chase and do the Highland Games thing but then that time came to an end And it came to an end for me pretty abruptly with injury and probably was a real benefit because Mm -hmm. otherwise I don't know when I would have decided this is enough. Kind of just dragged you out of the water. Didn't give you a chance to ease out, right? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, upon looking at that and thinking more about it, how many people never end a thing by choice? Mm Mm-hmm. And they're just waiting for the time to end. I mean, most men in playing sports in high school or college, you know, at the, at the best. And those mm-hmm. still get ended by someone else saying, your time here is up. Mm-hmm. And so then there becomes that, you know, identity, the shift. And especially when you've leaned into something and as an adult and done it for so long, man, getting the identity to kick back over to what do you want to do next instead of what yeah. was I? is really tough and we don't do anything to learn about that we don't talk about it right because yeah. i mean we see it we see it across the board right this isn't any different than people who have kids right out of college and go straight 100%. from the identity yeah. of student to parent yeah that well, as soon as the kids leave the house they don't know who the fuck they are i was gonna say that's one thing i've talked about a, a couple times on the podcast and I, i've seen it more and more the older i've gotten and, and see different people and in different walks of life is everyone faces an identity crisis at some point, whether it is like you mentioned, you, you're fortunate enough to be a professional athlete or, you know, athlete of some caliber, uh, proceeding in high school or college, but eventually, you know, you hit that realization where, you know, that, that road ends or, you know, most people go through the experience, like you said, where, you know, their whole childhood decisions are mostly made for you. You know, your parents sign you up for sports, you follow the public school education system, you go into the classes you're supposed to, you do everything you're supposed to, you go to prom, blah, blah, blah. You go to college because you feel like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to be a loser. So you go to college college, do whatever. Then you graduate. Almost entitled to go to college. Exactly. Exactly. You're supposed to go in and take this fucking debt. It's 
goddamn yeah. incredible to me that oh, this is it, a thing we it's operate ruthless. with. Yeah, we, we have the expectation that, oh, everyone has to take on 100000 in debt. That's a whole other thing. But uh, but oh, we, all, we all get to that question, like you mentioned, where we go, what now? What next? And that's where people are like just lost. And if you don't already kind of start that transition period or start thinking about what you want rather than what other people want for you, if you don't already start thinking about that, you're going to get like punched in the face when that that abrupt moment comes to you before you're ready for it. Or or you'll just decide to never listen to it. That's right. Yeah, you just follow the path set you'll just you know, for say, you. Nope. This is what we're doing. We're in it for the we're in it for the duration. Yeah. Yeah, um, you kind of get locked in that maze. That one wasn't for me, man. Um <laughs> Yeah, I could just see that both paths in the same way. Like I still just get old and die. Mhm. Like that, that's how both paths go. And especially getting a chance to look back on my dad, right? Like, you know, from not being sick, right? Like the day before that you find out that information. I mean, granted, you feel weird or whatever it is, but you get the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Um, he's just my normal dad. Does all the things my normal dad does. The future looks like whatever it was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And then the next day essentially starts this collision course with 11 months from then that he loses ability, can't physically maintain his body anymore, and dies. Yeah, world immediately changes. Yeah. Right. And so I, I can't for sure predict the future that says I don't die of pancreatic cancer the same way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of them. I'm not morbid. I don't believe I'm on a collision course with it, but it is – a way that it could all work out. And if that's the chase and if that's the chance and like if that I could be one of the options, man, like I got to make my time here worth that ending. Yeah. That even that is still worth what I got to do while I could do it. Mm-hmm. I see people just get caught, man. You get caught in that trap. And, and I believe that it's a big trap that you go to the college thing and you go straight out of high school, you go into college, you take on this debt because that's what you're supposed to do to not become a fucking loser. And then you end up in a job that you don't love, that you can't quit because you have this debt to pay off. Mm-hmm. And so then the next move and a success for you have, right, is the same people that lent you fucking money yeah, for your college that now you're in debt to as yeah. basically, you know, just owned that mm-hmm. you need to produce this amount of cash for them at an interest rate while they can print more money. Mm-hmm. Um it's like a slave without bonds. It's like a, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not there's... obviously, it's obviously not this, the same correlation, but as far as a, uh, you know, as, as a loose analogy, you know, you're, you're financially, you know, a slave to this kind of system and this process that again, absolutely kind of mis- incentivizes you to take. Right. And then they, then they give you a house at a higher interest rate, the same oh, way that yeah. you still owe this money on. Right. Like, yeah. All the time you see it. Gosh. <laughs> you know, and you can't escape. Yeah. And yeah, you can't well, escape. And that's, and and I hate to say that that's the plan, mm-hmm. but it seems to be that seems to be the tool they're using for the capitalism system, right? That like, yeah. oh, cool, we'll have some that'll escape the education process and figure out how mm-hmm. to pay all this money back, and they'll be great. And then we'll have the rest of them that eju- that will just fall into having to work. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, and they uh, and most will accept their fate, you know, out of security, out of well, because know, the- their parents did it and. Yeah, your grandparents did it, it, and like everyone else is doing it, and you go, yeah. "Well, this is normal. This is yeah. what we're supposed to do." I, I'm not interested in turning my time over that way. Mm-hmm. 
Well, one quote that uh, you've referenced in a speech before from Mark Twain is the one that you know says, most men die at 27, we just bury them at 72. And I think that ties into the idea, and maybe you can expand on how, you know, you post kind of weekly how many weeks you have left, which of course connects to you know your dad's death, and uh, you also represent it with marbles in a jar, which I think is a great unique way of looking at it and yep, a very visual reminder. Yeah, a very visual reminder of like, oh, uh, this thing is getting lower by the week, you know. For sure it is. For sure it is. You know, um, you know that Mark Twain co- quote. Uh, that Mark Twain quote is is such a strong one. You know, that most yeah. men die at 25 or 27, and we don't bury them until they're 75. You know, and that's when, that's when all the hope gets taken from people. That's when all that want and desire for their own life and passion, their own... I always say that childlike that, curiosity, you know, because yes. when, when we're kids, we believe that, oh, we can do everything, and we can do anything, and we try everything. I, especially as a kid, I try to be a, a photographer, a rapper, a director. I try to do everything, and a lot of the video editing skills I learned from just doing stupid lightsaber stuff and keyframing and, you know, learning and so forth. But a lot of times, uh, you know, that gets beaten out of us by high school and college, and we kind of, like we mentioned and, and elaborated uh, plenty on, is fall into that trap. But we lose, like you mentioned, that childlike feeling of, it. you know, we can do anything. For sure we do. We also lose the, like, the chase of growth. Yes. Yeah. You know, once we kind of, I think most people in their life, right, will just be, um, it's essentially like the last job most people get will be the one they're the most incompetent at. So you're promoted almost to the, you're like your level of incompetency. Say you're a great mm-hmm. salesman, but you're not a manager, so you end up taking on the sales management role. Mm. Boom, you're now fucking Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> right. Whereas that guy can stay in relationships and he's a killer. Mm-hmm. You know, find the things that you do well and figure out how to continue to get better at them. Mm-hmm. You know, take some awareness of the things that you suck at and decide you can change it. You don't have to be fucking great at it, but man, you can you can bump your bump the weaknesses up a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that pursuit is a really big key. You know, our constitution for whatever that's worth there's some really brilliant parts to it Mm -hmm. um you know the unalienable rights of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness Mm -hmm. it's a pursuit it's not guaranteed right it's the pursuit man it's the pursuit Mm -hmm. that matters it's all in the chase it's all in the in the learning it's all in the trying new things and getting beaten and realizing that you learned a new thing Mm mm-hmm but a big chunk of that has to, you have to start redefining what failure means, what success means. Because if the standard definition of failure is something I screwed up on and then everyone judges me and now I'm a loser and no one loves mm-hmm. me anymore. That's a really tough thing to overcome for people to want to try new things. Yeah. Well, one thing I heard recently that I thought puts it really well, and it was centered around the idea of existentialism and, and that school of thought with philosophy, is the idea that you know, we, we, purpose is found in possibility and uncertainty because when people live lives that are, you know, stable, secure, and lacking in uh, possibility, everything's predictable. They know exactly what's going to happen. They wake up, they follow the same routine day after day. They know where they're going to be. They know they're going to climb the corporate ladder over 30, 40 years. Uh, life loses meaning. It loses purpose. It loses unpredictability. It loses excitement. It loses passion. And I think the more times we can, not, not that everybody should just go and quit their job after listening to this, but 
the more we can pursue some the should. uncertain. <laughs> some should. Some the more that we can take a risk on a business, take a risk on you know doing some hard competition, whether it's a Highland Games, powerlifting competition, ultra endurance, whatever it is, get out of your comfort zone. The more you can kind of find purpose, ignite that you know passion, that fervor, that enthusiasm about life. So find out more about yourself. I think there's a big chunk of it, right? Like through that pursuit that our, our brains get really bored. And this is, you know, this is the feature that separates us from everything else, really, is our ability to, to have consciousness and awareness and Absolutely. all those type of things. And so evolutionary-wise, we've been built for so long to pinpoint out negatives and problems because they'll kill us. Mm-hmm. It's really only been within, like, the last couple hundred years, really, maybe even hundred years, that we don't have to operate like that at fight or flight all the time. Yeah. So we get a chance to start looking at some existential things. But purpose is found in like providing value and purpose is found in being part of community and purpose is mm-hmm. found in all of those things. And we've eliminated a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And so finding that ability to want to get better, like your brain needs problems to solve. And if you yeah. don't decide to choose the problems to give it, it's going to choose and find whatever it can make a problem. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these will just end up on the non-controllable things in your life. Whereas if you can focus in on the controllable aspects about, you know, if I, I can become more valuable because I know more things. I can become more valuable because I understand things better. I can become more valuable because I'm a better communicator. I can become more valuable because of, whatever aspect you want to improve on yourself to be more valuable mm-hmm. to your community. But you have to find your community. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where we're at now. Like we've become so anonymous with how big things are and how easily we can access everyone that it's tough to feel valuable in a certain community. Yeah. It is funny how like the more access we have, the, the broader uh, connection we have to everyone and everything, like the less connected we really are especially in like a a local thing as you mentioned you know as civilization for the longest time you know you know everyone in your small town families were more closer knit and more localized and yeah like we do really lose that that sense of tribe and and it's new it's really really new man it's it is it's really new and i don't think because we have such short-term memory that like world war ii seems like a really long time ago like ancient history (laughs) Because essentially yeah. nobody alive was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's right around the corner, right? But we don't have anyone who's like had a full lifetime while technology's really been available. Yeah. You know, no one born in the 80s is, is 100 yet. Mm-hmm. And so as this continues, right, like we'll have less connection back to the way it was. However, mm-hmm. this isn't global. <laughs> There's plenty of places that are still kind of uh developing countries mm-hmm. where they still have community and they still have all these type of things and the places i've traveled to seem happier than us i was gonna say this might be the perfect time to shoe in uh, your trip to uganda and ask about your takeaway and your experience working with uh justin ran out there and, and and that whole experience justin's an incredible guy first and foremost and uh what he did with fight for the forgotten and and the little bit that I got to see in the 10 days I've been there versus the 12 years that he's been 
going back and really doing work. I got to see one water well that got put in, and I got to see the Batwa community uh, where in Karambi they had turned over 50 acres to this community of 165 people, I believe. Mm -hmm. 30 houses, um, a water well, and a reservoir. And, you know, man, I've never, I've never impacted change in anyone's life like that. Yeah. You know, that, that's base hierarchy of needs. That's clean water and a place to go inside, you know, that you can't be attacked. And these people, like up to six months ago, had been living in this area, uh, Bundy, Missouri, living behind the slums. And they were there for 17 years, man, and like, Trying to put that in perspective, like think about the last 17 years of your life and think about how informative that was on what you believe you are. And they spent that, started with 300 people in their community on a, this basically this half acre of land behind the slums in a town that all, I, I don't know where you would decipher and say like slums start. Mm -hmm. It's just so underdeveloped and I'm not trying to shit on it, but there's no resources. Yeah. Right. Like this whole town, right? Like there aren't nobody comes no to pick up trash. Yeah. Right. So everyone just burns their stuff. Granted, there's a lot less trash because there aren't deliveries of Amazon shit being brought every <laughs> single day. Yeah. Less cardboard, less plastic. So yeah. they also use their stuff to the fullest. Um, and so the Batwa, these, these pygmy people from the forest, after they got kicked out of the forest, their ancestral home where they had spent forever and there's elders in this group like some of the people i met were like in their 80s mm -hmm. and so figure it's 60 right you're at 60 and your life gets ousted from living in the forest in your natural habitat as a hunter gatherer to now living behind the slums in this city in mud brick homes and dirt floors crammed like 30 people into a building uh they don't have doors like on their home, so it's just like a curtain. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things they deal with, right, like as they said, uh, the locals disturb them at night is, is how they referred to it. Mm -hmm. What they mean is the locals would come in and rape them mm -hmm. because somebody told them that it would cure HIV or they would mm -hmm. take one of the kids and do some bloodletting to drink their blood because that would cure HIV. Like that's mm -hmm. shit that they've dealt with for the last 17 years of life. Mm -hmm. You know, even imagine like from 60 to 80, that's what life was. So when you're coming back, I mean, obviously when you're, you're seeing those intense, just especially just, just horrid conditions for the most part and, and daily experiences and lifestyle, especially from where we, we exist in, in the world. How do you try and encapsulate that experience and try and, I don't know. Obviously, you work to spread awareness, but how do you try and make sure you take that perspective back home and try and hold on to it as long as you can? Because obviously, those memories, you know, they become faint over time, but you still want to have that heightened appreciation for what we have and, and put everything to the right context. You know, one of the reasons I travel is because I love the shape it does to me. I, I love how it shifts my perspective. Yeah. In a literal sense, because I'm on a different place on earth and the, you know, internal sense of being able to just see things with more information and actually have an experience to form an opinion on. Going over there, 
I, I very specifically remember one night uh, was pretty spent after we had done this uh, celebration of handing over a water well to a local community of probably a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, these are now people that like don't have to do this three hour, couple thousand feet worth of elevation hike every day to get water. I was going to say, so what it, yeah, not to interject on your story, but what is the process of, of getting them water? Is it basically trying to, uh, bring a, a more accessible solution and connector from the reservoir down to the nope. village or how does it, so how does it work? So I, know you, I saw you guys there's, carrying, there's, so, um, yeah, so cans. there's no infrastructure, mm-hmm. just none. And so they're also up on this mountainside. So you have to survey the land to figure out where you could actually put a well. And then mm-hmm. what, so there's wells and then there's something, what they usually, I always just call it a well, like it's got a pump handle, but they're, yeah. they're called yeah. borehole. And so they'll dig there and find, and hopefully find clean water. It just may take a week worth of digging. Okay. So they're basically digging deep to find some kind of water source that's deep underground and then extract the water up there. Okay. And that's what you guys are kind of helping do. Yeah. So that's what fight for the forgotten's like main goal is. Mm-hmm is getting accessible water to people who don't have it. Yeah. And so before this, which was like they've had this borehole in place for two weeks, like this community has a a two-hour-a-day water walk. I mean, look in a survival scenario, right? Like if things shut off right now and everyone in our country had to do a two-hour walk to get water for the day, what Mm -hmm. percentage of our population do we lose? Yeah, a lot. That that'll we be enough to kill most paper. people. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. And so, laying there in bed one night, um, you know, we're staying in the in one of the houses that they've got, and so it's mm-hmm. a very simple ten by thirty concrete building with no windows, uh, bars on the windows, and shutters because well now they're stoked to feel safe that people can't yeah. come in their fucking homes. Um. And I'm laying there, and I realize this is probably the closest I'll ever stay to a prison cell. You know, and this is the most luxury that these people have ever known. They're super grateful for it. And, like, man, I'm laying in bed listening to them just party and celebrate together. The hard thing is to try and relate to people that these existences happen concurrently at the same time. Yeah, it, like it, some, I, I knew it did, but it's not the same as being there. It's, Exactly. It's different from seeing like I, I can envision it. I see it on videos, so forth. I see the content you and Justin post, but it is it's it's not something I can really fully understand until I'm there. But it's just crazy you, you can't to, add the time factor the right way until you're there. Yeah. It's just and hard to believe like, that. Yeah, that you have someone waking up in silk sheets in Beverly Hills, whatever they're, you know, getting driven, driven somewhere. Of course, that's an extreme. But even like, you know, I'll say your life or my life, you know, we have very conveniences. We have grocery stores. We have a great, great home, great opportunities, um, opportunity for economic uh, mobility and so forth. And then, you know, somewhere else at the exact same time, they they don't have a chance. You know, they're just focused on survival. They're in the community. That whole thing, right? Like that whole thing where, where you just said, like, they don't have a chance. Um, they want different things. That's right. Yeah. This isn't what they've been sold. They haven't been sold on the nonstop consumerism that the purchasing mm-hmm. the next thing is going to be the answer to the question. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't have that part. Mm-hmm. And so while I've met tons of people and these, like, these aren't miserable fucking people. Exactly. Yeah. That's they're right. happy. They don't desire what we have. Yeah. They're, they're genuinely happy and have mm-hmm. lots of love. 
we don't. Mm-hmm. There's it's something just the more to be is not said always there. better, right? Yeah. There's something to be said there, or at least fucking acknowledge that that isn't going to be the answer and start making some different moves. You know, for me, yeah. right? Like being in that scenario and really taking heavy notice of that night and burning that kind of sensation and understanding in of it. Mm-hmm. Make sure that I'm chasing the things that excite me. Yeah. Not well, th- excite th- stuff that I hope other people see me do. Yeah. I, I think this might be a good chance to pivot towards, uh, you know, as you tr- have, as you've had the brand, uh, the hate brand goods, as well as pivoting it, uh, you know, as far as business, one thing that I've grown more and more aware of is that, you know, there's always going to be more money to make. There's always going to be more likes you can have. There's always going to be more followers and that everything, as we mentioned with a car, with anything becomes relative. So as, as soon as you get used to one house, well, you could always get the bigger house. Then you get used to that house. Then you could, you know, have something else. Or it's you called get the hedonic to... treadmill. Exactly, exactly. And so you really have to go, wait a minute. If more isn't the solution, if, if luxuries aren't the solution, if materialism isn't the solution, what is it? And that's when you have to have that understanding. And I think that's a perfect case study of showing, you know, these people live in very different um, conditions than us, yet they are more, they have a higher scale of happiness than we have here in the States. And so it, I think it, it comes down to, and as we can tie this in with the business, is doing things that you're passionate and actually add meaning to your life. Spending more time doing meaningful things as much as you can each day rather than doing things just to advance yourself in some kind of uh, social hierarchy or financial hierarchy. Or I, th- I think being intentional with your time to do things that get you toward where you actually want to be. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I'd look at is like taking proactive choices. You know, who, who do I want to be and what does that best self look like? Mm-hmm. And what skills does he have? What, you know, how does he handle some problems? That what does he do with his nutrition? All, all of the aspects. Mm-hmm. And trying to make daily decisions to move toward that. Whereas mm-hmm. so often I feel like most of my day gets filled with decisions that are simply based on yesterday's decisions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you can kind of end up in that situation where I know what I have to do tomorrow and that's all I do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's some of that, but there also has to be something that you're chasing forward for growth. Like that part is really imperative for people. There has mm-hmm. to be, find some type of value and purpose to what you're doing. And if that purpose is getting water every day, it's still purpose. Mm-hmm. We live in such luxury as some of the only people on earth and the only people in human history that get to choose what do yeah. we want to pursue. And everyone does okay until they're out of fucking school because they've been pursuing things that have been laid in front of them as expectations from this and that. But as soon as it's like, so what do you want? And people go, mm-hmm. and, and, and what does choice bring? Choice brings anxiety, right? Yeah. Especially so, if you've already backed yourself into a hole, right? Yeah. You know, that you get to 30 and have that moment of realization of like, what the fuck am I doing in my life? And I've already got two kids. I've already got a job and I've already got half a million dollars in debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got you. <laughs> they do got you. So before we get into Not Dead Yet and how you've kind of rebranded and so forth, explain what, uh, and I'm pronouncing it right, it's hate brand goods, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. what we originally yeah. were, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So explain, you know, the process of building that. What was the reasoning behind it? What does, what is, what is, you know, hate mean? All of that. And, uh, and then we can get it to how you've, why the pivot, why the change, and, and how difficult it's been to kind of, and, and the, it's an ongoing process of rebranding. Mm-hmm. 
It's an ongoing process of rebranding. Of course. Um, yeah. So hate started in 2014. Um, in 2011, I uh, wrote my first book called Strength Lab, and it was you know training for the Highland Games. There just really weren't any good programs on how to properly train for them. And since I had spent some time doing strongman and then collegiate throwing, I was able to really mm -hmm. put together like what a full year of training should look like for this style of strength sport. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I talked in there was my own motivation, which was the hate. You know, that's how I get shit done. It's that I just don't tolerate that acceptance of good enough. We got there. Mm -hmm. And so there's always an, you know, an angle to figure out how I could have been better you know, how we could make improvements and not tolerating that good enough sensation or that, like, I deserve the day off or any of that type of shit. That one, it's all on quote, me. Yeah, I was going to say, one quote I like that you said, and uh, I was looking back on your history and your videos, and uh, in the in the uh, video you were explaining a lot of the mindset behind it is one thing you said is, uh, you know, outwork, being outworked is a choice. Being and outworked I really like is that. a choice. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't choose a lot of my genetics, right? Like I'm going to compete against guys that are bigger than me, taller than me, have more free time, have more resources, any of these types mm -hmm. of things. But being outworked is different. Like if I can yeah, go out decision. and get beat, that's fine. That, that's an outcome of maybe I'm not that in control of based on whoever I'm competing against, right? Mm -hmm. But if I went out and I was able to perform at my best, and I did all the work and felt confidence in my performance, like rad. Like that's mm -hmm. what I'm looking for, right? Like I, I just don't want to tolerate giving myself an out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could have done more. That's it. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what gets it done, man. Hate yourself enough to do the fucking work. Yeah. Cause regret you know? is a lot worse than knowing that you got beat by just somebody who was better that time. Yeah, man. I just don't want to be that guy. Like I always want to be moving forward progress mm -hmm. is the focus like i don't want to get comfortable and feel complete or, or that i'm supposed to be yeah like always want to push it yeah you know, the so guys that... like jerry rice right like that's who i remember mm -hmm. thinking about the most is this guy at the top of his game as good as he's ever been and he's still up at 4 a.m going to run routes and get better mm -hmm. he hates himself more than you do man mm -hmm. i mean when he gets up in the mirror there's a drive there that says we're not done yet yeah, there's yeah, like done does not exist. It's a perpetual, uh, cyclical process of what can I improve? And always improving something, always trying to dial in better. You're either gaining ground or losing ground on your best self. Mm -hmm. And like the base self of you is like all those things that left alone to your own devices, you'll just do. Now, how much discipline you can put in to continually try to make progress and put as much distance between best self and base self. That's the choices you make every day. Mm. And like base self, he's got a lot of traits I'm not that fucking into. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so I got to keep him in sight and know what I'm running, like what I'm running toward and trying not to have in my life. Yeah. So that's the message. What's the brand? Was the So obviously the shorts are a big kind of selling feature and, mm -hmm. and, and flagship product. Um, what is... What is all encompassed under that brand and that has been, and then we can get to where it's headed in the future? Yeah, so Hate basically just started making apparel. So that was one of the things yeah. I wrote about in the book in uh, 2011. And then by 2014, I guess I had done some YouTube videos and everything else by this point and mm -hmm. started getting asked to do shirts with, with Hate on it. And so we did. Mm -hmm. um, and then we took off with that, and that became my really my only job. Like 2017 was running the brand, and then 
as it's continued to be what it is, we're nine years into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and not dead yet has been much more of a prevalent message in my mind, you know, that I didn't know was coming with it. And, you know, something bigger, right. From a, (laughs) from having a fucking word that people can't pronounce, uh, and having (laughs) written dumb. The funny thing that I've experienced with businesses and you're, you're outlining it right here is that uh, sometimes, you know, a unique name is cool. But if people can't pronounce it or they get confused, it's almost like a detractor in some way. <laughs> yeah, and despite my best efforts of that over nine years, like, we've done okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got to do this for a living, and there's nothing else I'd rather do. And so yeah. now, kind of, you know, the podcast was the first thing that we rebranded over to Not Dead Yet, and the YouTube channel, and that's kind of the pursuit. Like, that's why I'm fucking doing what I want to do. That's mm-hmm. why I want to see the most of what I can accomplish. That's why I want to challenge myself in every single way to get closer to that best self. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy who has the experiences of being around the world, the guy that is aware, the guy that knows how to hold space for friends and not need to tell his fucking story, the guy that uh, is has read all these books, the guy that has the information and perspectives. Like, that's the guy, the guy that, that I want to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it shows that you've evolved. It shows that the brand's evolved, and I think it's fitting for the brand to evolve along with you. You know, and I think Not Dead Yet is a continuation of that message. And it's, you know, it, it really shows a kind of growth period from, you know, within the brand to something even greater, an even bigger message, an even bigger uh, just pursuit and mentality to share with others. Thank you. Because that's, that's yeah. exactly how we feel about it. Yeah. So with the rebrand, what was, what was and has been the strategy with it? How are you approaching it? Because it is difficult when you've had this brand for nine years. People, uh, whether they pronounce it right or not, they have an understanding of what it is, what it looks like, who it is. And then they see, you know, logos change, websites change. Uh, yeah. The vision is still mostly there, but it's, it's altered. Um, how, how has that process been? What, what have been some of the hiccups with it? And how have you addressed those? I mean, there haven't been any surprises. I expected this to be hard. Yeah. You know, I expected this to be a thing that will either be what I continue forward with or I no longer do apparel. This will be the catalyst <laughs> of that. Yeah. As it would have gone that way anyway, man. Like, yeah, you know, there was a time before I was doing apparel. There'll be a time when I'm not doing apparel. When that happens, I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. Till then, I'm going to give it my best and be as honest to doing what I believe in. Um, and so, I mean, first things first, right? Like, we've got to redo the whole website and get rid of any of the small branding marks and do any of this type of stuff. Um, try to liquidate old, the I'm best we can old. of, of yeah. old stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then that becomes a weird spot, too, because you're selling a bunch of stuff cheap. And so what's the attraction to buy the new stuff at full price? Like, there's a, yeah. there's, it just takes time. It's the new logo, duh, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, But it takes time. I get it, you know, because the consumer, we've had such a really, really um, loyal consumer group. Yeah. And they've been on board. And, and, you know, and the trust is, is that they've believed in what we've stood so, so far. The messaging is any different. Now, it's my Mm -hmm. job to make sure that people understand what not dead yet means. Mm-hmm. Like it's back to square one that I'm on re-education phase. Like, and if I don't Tell do that, and I just expect people to get it. Mm-hmm. Like, of course it fails. Yeah. I think that's really important with any brand, especially with a rebrand is, you know, explaining 
what the story is behind it. And because it's such a personal story, I think it's it's uh, not necessarily easy for you, but it comes a little bit more naturally. And I think you've done a great job through, you know, not just your an initial kind of video you put out, which was phenomenal, but just repeatedly, you know, hit, just hammering it in people's head, what not yet did, what that is supposed to, what the emotions it's supposed to evoke within people, the mindset, the idea, the visions, the imagery. And uh, like you said, that just comes with time and it's a responsibility you've had to take on. Yeah, that's that's what comes with it, right? Because, I mean, no, that's my dream. You know, yeah. expecting someone else to fucking get it or buy into it if I'm not going to do all the work, like, that's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, with the brand, it seems like there's a, a dichotomy within it where there's the apparel brand, but it seems like you've started to kind of launch the life side of it, the coaching mm-hmm. side. And I've seen you've done the retreats, um, but I guess what is all on that side of things? Is it... Is it retreats? Is it just content? Is it is also uh, actual like one-on-one coaching? Uh, what is your what is it currently, and what is your long-term vision for that sure. side of the brand? Yeah, not dead yet. Life is my mentorship coaching group, and so like we've okay. got a big group, and that gives me time to again really address community. Yeah. You know, start looking at some of these things that I noticed were popping up that I was able to address and shift in myself to get back on track to doing the things that I really want to do in my life. And uh-huh. not just following that set path. And it's really tough to get off that path when everyone around you makes you feel fucking crazy for wanting more mm-hmm. or wanting different. And so being able to kind of share my experiences and what's got me through and what are the books and resources that I had access to, man, I got really lucky because I had this thing already that was exceptional with the Highland Games. Yeah. And that opened a lot of really great doors for me to build resources. And through that, I got to be around people that I guess I never expected to be around. And I got to be around people one-on-one that were doing big things and chasing dreams. And uh, I got to see reality of it, not just the shiny part on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I know what that changed in me. Because all of a sudden, they were regular people. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is doable. Like, it's all doable. Yeah. Like, you can fucking just do what you want to for a living. Becomes humanized, yeah. Yeah, you may not be able to get rich. Like, make sure that you put Mm -hmm. your value on the thing that you want. If it's get rich, follow that. That one's not it for me. You know, I want life experience. I want freedom. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to spend as many days doing the things that I love to do than having to do a bunch of shit that I have to do. The funny thing is people, you know, they think that, that money is that long-term goal money's going to afford them freedom but a lot of times they can already enact more freedom in their life without a certain dollar sign that they're envisioning as oh once i get that that's when i'll have freedom but like you mentioned you should just be chasing more freedom more opportunity more time to do the things that you love that to me is what success and happiness looks like it's not reaching a certain dollar amount where then i can start living my life well but we've convinced people that the dollar thing is such the important god to chase Mm mm-hmm and that that'll answer their questions. It'll answer all those feelings. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's too many examples that I've seen personally as well that that ain't it. Yeah. Man, that ain't the fucking way. Because what I end mm-hmm. up doing when I chase that path, right, is I just reward more good with more work. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I love what I do. But again, if I'm not doing the other part of it that actually keeps me inspired and keeps me fulfilled and keeps new information coming into me and me working on me, I run out of shit to talk about, man. 
Mm-hmm. And like, I want to have new discussions. I want to have new eye-opening things. I want to have more moments that I go, fuck, I was really wrong on that. Mm-hmm. Less the same, less mundane, more variety, more, yeah, exposure to different ideas, different concepts, different ways of life. And again, I think it just enables more development and personal growth. That's that's what I want, yeah. right? I believe awareness is one of the is, is the biggest factor. Mm-hmm. You know, and so not dead yet life. I work with people on that. You know, if you're looking to be an entrepreneur, I can help you with some perspective shifts and give you some ideas and some resources. Mm-hmm. You know, I can share the books and everything else that helped me. I can share my experiences of what it was. I'm here to answer questions. I'm here to be of service. Yeah. I want to help in any way I can from not just. I really don't care what shape you're in. Mm-hmm. Right. I do, however, believe my health, whether that's mental or physical, because they're all the same thing. Yeah. Is that if I'm not taking care of one, the other's going to struggle. And so I have to take proactive stances in that if I have the awareness to know that if I don't, I'll get shittier. And so getting people to switch on to those awarenesses and let go of the feelings is another part. Mm -hmm. You know, being able to control the aspects of your life that you're actually in control of and really let go of the shit that is not under your ability to maintain frees up a lot of attention that you can put on the things that you want to do. Like having an opinion about what people say at the water cooler. What a (laughs) waste of fucking energy. Mm. You know, me giving 2% of the energy I have today to yell at some guy in traffic who's never seen my car. Right, yeah. because he cut me off or any of this. Like, no fucking way I'm choosing to give that guy my energy. Mm-hmm. You know, realizing if I wake up and I'm a little too spun up or any of this thing, I've got tools to get in my journal and be able to slow down and communicate with myself. Yeah. I have tools to be able to kick myself back into being present and be down-regulated so that I can sleep better. You know, I can take some awareness of what tools help me do those things and which ones don't. You know, do I have to continue to drink? Is that, is that part of the thing that makes me feel normal and fit in with everyone? What happens if I don't? Because I really don't like feeling shitty the next day. Mm-hmm. So why would I continue to choose that? Yeah. You know, just having some awareness and letting go whatever attachment there was to the thing as if some identity, right? Like, man, long time as a big dude and a thrower and as a strength athlete and all that. Don't think that I don't fucking own the fact that I can out drink and out eat most people. <laughs> of course yeah. I do. But at what expense, right? Like, Mm -hmm. What for? What for? Like, is that the identity you're going to be? You're the guy that now has to fucking out drink and out eat everyone forever? You're a fucking puppet then. Then you just got owned by that thing again. Yeah. It's now having to predict who you are and what decisions you make and what you find cool because you said you did years ago. You know, be wrong. The ego's tricky. Self-responsibility and self-control, I think, along with that awareness all kind of circulates together. Peeling back some of those layers uh, that that kind of shaped your your view on the world and how you do things, what are some of the non-negotiable non-negotiables that you set in your daily life, your weekly routines? Because I know uh, journaling is a big thing for you. I know you know you incorporate the cold plunge a lot mm-hmm. as well in your routine. Obviously, you exercise uh, daily as well. You know, what are some of those key elements that you know that hey, if I if I make sure I get these done and make sure these happen no matter what. I'm going to be able to thrive for sure. Um, journaling's probably been the biggest mm-hmm. and 
really all that is, is me getting to communicate with myself. This also allows me to get out of my head, which tends up being more spun up, put something on paper, it becomes more physical, I can be more objectionable about the things I'm writing, I can, I can look at it through a different lens. And then I'm able to make some decisions based on it to decide what actions I want to take to either eliminate it or have more of it. Mm-hmm. So the journaling has been probably the biggest thing I've done for myself. It also really allows me to flesh out ideas and figure out a better way to communicate because I'm writing it, I'm learning it, I'm saying it again. All of this it allows me to defend myself in arguments better because I, I can communicate. And not even defend myself in arguments, but it allows me to make sure that I'm more impeccable with my word. Yeah. Right. That I can make sure that you hear what my intention is behind what I'm trying to say instead of someone getting caught up in some misunderstanding of vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So the journaling has been huge on that. Uh, The hot and cold. I really like Uh, I've used for a long time. Cold has been part of my practice since like 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, Aside from all the scientific benefits, I think we've heard enough of that. Huberman has covered it indefinitely. And yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> so all that, <laughs> let him say it because he's fucking way yeah, smarter than I am. Way better with it. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, why I love it, other than I get some pain reduction, it will completely bring me back to being present. Yeah. I'm back in my breath. I'm back in my physical body. I'm connected. And I can slow down and be able to control how well or, or control what my reaction to this discomfort is. I think it's one of those moments where it makes you, because of the extremeness of it, it does, uh, it, it brings you into this kind of heightened present state where all you can focus on is the breath. All That's you can it. focus on is that experience. And we don't have much of that. That's, I think, what draws me to running a lot is because I can't pull out my phone, you know, besides the occasional throw up a story or whatever. But for the most part, for the, you know, three hours I'm running, for the ultra race, for even just the casual run, I'm not on my phone. Uh, I don't have technology around there. All I can focus on is one step after the other, and it kind of isolates and, and narrows my my mind because I'm a bit of a scattered brain too and can think of all these things and what's next and what I got to do when I get home and after this workout and it's too much. And so the more I think times we can, you know, center our being and our, our mindset, uh, it, it, it kind of is like that sensory deprivation tank, right? We can a just bit. slow down, you know, Dude, slow I, down I, I noticed it and it's really valuable for me. I'm as scatterbrained and ADHD and lunatic as, as fucking people get. Yeah. Um, and I guess still being able to accomplish things. I realize there must be people who are worse than me who really can't manage. Um, but there's tools, man. There's tools to make improvements to it. And the cold's mm-hmm. been one of them. And the, the other side of that for me, right, is I want to create an adaptation in myself. And one of the adaptations I want, other than being strong, other than being fit, having more cardio, right? Like those are the adaptations I'm trying to create from, from lifting and training. Mm-hmm. One of the adaptations I want to create is being more resilient and also being able to manage stress better. Mm -hmm. And so the cold every day gives me a practice of doing both those things. Yeah. It always sucks. Always. There's always some red flag and alarm that goes off in my head and says, let's not do this. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do this. Just get out. No one cares, man. No one's going to know. Right. There's tons of that. (laughs) Yeah. But again, 
does my best self get in there? Yeah, he does. Yeah, every time. And so <laughs> I'm in full control of this one, right? There's so many things throughout my day that I may not be in control of. Mm-hmm. But this one, I got three minutes. I can't ever pretend I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if Dig- it's three minutes that yeah. improves me and requires me to just sit still, mm-hmm. fuck, I can't get beat by that one. No. No. I want to uh, dig more into that journaling thing because it's something that, you know, I keep a bullet journal, but it's always been for years for me more of a, a planner as much as I will use a digital calendar and reminders on my phone. There is something special about, you know, writing certain things down and, hmm. and, and especially with handling a lot of the freelance and client work I do, keeping track of that just visually um, helps me. But I haven't gotten deep into journaling. Maybe it's because I haven't found the exact strategy for me. Uh, but I wonder if you can expand and share, you know, what is, what is your strategy with it? Because I think my fear of people doing, or not my fear, but I think the problem that people face sometimes with journaling or daily affirmations that they tell themselves is it becomes another box to check. It becomes something that over time it becomes the, the sensation, the benefit they get from it becomes dull for some people if they don't do it probably properly. And maybe you could share the difference. Um, so, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I think if you're journaling and you're starting off, right, like the reason that it continues to work and you continue to get a feeling at it is you get better at it and you're able mm-hmm. to push for different depth and understanding. You're also having less judgment on what you write. I mean, most of the things I journal like aren't legible. Like I'm not going back in to really dig back into it. I just need it out. Yeah. Just get it out of your head. Just, just get it out of there and let it sit. Um, That way, at least I've formed a whole thought about it and got it out, you know, and what started as journaling, like, um, you know, when people, when people get started, I recommend like find prime prompts because at least Mm -hmm. then you've got a target. It's really tough to say someone, Hey, let's sketch every day. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I know that if I sketch every day for a year, like I'll get better at sketching. Mm hmm. But it's really tough to say, sit down and sketch something every morning. Whereas if I was to say, take five minutes and here on the page, here's an apple, the next page is a zebra, the next page is this, you could get that done. May not always be beautiful, but you could always get the rep in. And I think there's a big portion of that to getting the reps in, to getting a habit. And so journaling, I look at it like that, like having some actually self-awareness type of questions to ask yourself, you know, a really simple one that I give people to start like a 30 day process with. Mm-hmm. I took from uh, Alex Banyan, the guy wrote uh, The Third Door. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the three things you ask yourself at the end of every day. What brought me joy today or enthusiasm? What stole my energy? And what did I learn? And go into the go into depth on those as much as you need to, but do it in five do it in five minutes, mm-hmm. right? And do that for a month. And at the end of the month, take your journal and go look at it, and try to look and try to figure out what trends are. What constantly took my energy? What's draining me? What what fulfills me? Is it community? Is it time with my family? Is it mm-hmm. when I'm acknowledged for things? Is it when I did something well? Is it you can look at that, right? And you can start mm-hmm. pinpointing the things that make you happier. You can then pinpoint the things that are bumming you the fuck out. And the things yeah. that are bumming you out, how do you get less of them? Yeah, how like a you... little personal audit. That's see it. what's going on. It's just to build the awareness of what's going on in your life when you may not be paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. 
know, you can be able to say like, man, every time this comes up, I do this. Like I have a flinch or whatever you could call it. Mm-hmm. Having the awareness of that and then being decide, be able to look back at like, well, why did I develop a flinch? You know, was that something that happened when I was a kid? Like I lost a sporting event or further down the road could be abuse or whatever, right? But it's mm-hmm. being able to actually have some awareness of why my base operating system operates the way it does. Yeah. I want to know. Because I think at some point before I, you have self-awareness, you're just a combination of all the experiences and things that you've had in your life. Mm-hmm. But the moment that you can see it, and realize that you didn't pick a lot of those things. You know, even say your feelings about religion, right? Like whether you're pro or against and how you feel about it came duly to the experiences you had growing up and what you were exposed to. Yeah. You'd feel totally different about that if you were born on a different longitude and latitude. 100%. And so Mm -hmm. the awareness of like, oh, fuck, so all my feelings built on that are even just from this local environment that I came in. Mm Mm-hmm. What are the other things out there? And if I'm going to have one, I want to know that I'm picking it because I really believe it's the best for me, that it aligns the most with me and not because this is what society says is right or wrong. I don't necessarily believe right or wrongs really exist. Yeah, that's definitely a, that's definitely stuff that I, I've come to agree with um, I feel like the past year of my life more so that I've dug deeper into Western philosophy is yeah, understanding, you know, simple things like right or wrong uh, are very much subjective. Uh, and then, you know, it, it really teaches you that we, as much as we assert something with ab- absolutism or, or we think we know something we don't really know anything. <laughs> um, but, but tying to People that speak said, with absolutes, like it's already a red flag to me be like, that guy's a fucking dummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, like, yeah, clue into, yeah, they really, really might not know what they're talking about. But I like that you kind of mentioned how I think it's shifting back into uh, something I referenced earlier is that self-control and their self-responsibility and knowing that you made the choice to believe in this religion or you made the choice to choose this job uh, because sometimes or made the we, choice to not believe in this religion. Exactly. Sometimes we think we're making a choice, but really the influences around us are what's shaping that choice. And it's hard to fully alleviate us uh, from those influences but we can at least do the best we can to, again, reflect, journal, and figure out, you know, what made us choose that? Uh, is that the right choice for us? And so forth. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, too, uh, what people don't realize is uh, indecision is also a decision. Like, if you choose yeah, indecision, you is. choose not to make a choice, that is a choice. That That's, uh, the, <laughs> that's the full side that comes with, like, once you have the self-awareness, right? Like, the big piece that I, that I love teaching and trying to get people to recognize is total accountability. Yeah. Which means yeah. that it's all on me from this point forward. Mm-hmm. That if I stay unhappy, that's because I'm choosing it. And if it's yeah. something I'm choosing, it should make us happy. Got one last question for you, and it's, it's a, a simple but a doozy at the same time. What is your current definition of success? My current definition of success is being able to spend as many of the days of the rest of my life pursuing things that make me happy. I like that. I think that's a good one. That's a good definition. (laughs) I don't want to operate out of obligation. I don't want to feel that I have to do a thing. Mm -hmm. I want to know that I'm there by choice. I want to know that and really feel present in those experiences. Yeah, a, a, a kind of metaphor that I always try to use that the more I've, I've said it, the more I've kind of t- 
tied it to my own philosophy or brand is the idea of living in like an active intentional life and i think a lot of people exist in the passenger seat if you imagine a vehicle as your life and you're getting driven around and you're just in this passenger seat you don't get to control the music the ac where you're going any of this you're just sitting there and a lot of people exist in that realm and in that situation and i think think the more that we can be uh active in our lives and more intentional and purposeful with what we do and the choices we make and the you know the mindset we have and the feelings we you know can evoke and how we interact with people the more we can be a driver instead of a passenger uh i think you know the more we'll find meaning and success in life that's a big chunk of it man like because i think we're all born passengers to some extent of course yeah right but there becomes a point where you realize you don't have to be a passenger anymore. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting to see the choice people make after that. I got the perfect quote because you led me into it. There's one I, I made a post about recently by uh, existentialist, but he didn't like that term. It's more uh, absurdism. But Albert Camus and uh, the yeah. myth of Sisyphus, he said, there's always comes a time where uh, one must choose between contemplation and action, and that's called becoming a man. And obviously man, woman, whatever it is. But to me, that just symbolizes growth, right? Going from, okay, being passive or... or you know, letting or being indecisive, uh, and then there's you know the way that we try to live our lives and the way we try to express and and, and invoke in others is, yeah, making the choice, being active, taking the action, right? That's it. Like if, right? So if I'm looking at kind of that moment of self awareness, right, and I can look back at my own history and realize that I am some combination of all of the experiences, the community I was in, the environment I was born in, the time I was born, all of that has built me into what I am. Mm-hmm. The moment I realized that those are the things that built me, like what I can learn from that is going forward to be whoever I want to be, or whoever that I would want to be the most. I just now have to have the experiences and take the actions for that to be the biggest influence on me going forward. Mm-hmm. It's of no obligation to find me. The universe yeah. doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. It doesn't that, care a- that we're here. <laughs> the waiting, only waiting fucking the thing whole... to do, man, is <laughs> is push yourself and see what is possible while you've waiting's got time. A, I was gonna say, waiting is another rabbit hole. We we would probably just you know exhaust ourselves on is that yeah that idea that people think and some of it's tied to religion, but even people that are uh, you know either agnostic or secular fall into that idea that you know things are just gonna happen for them. Eventually they'll leave that job. Eventually they'll move out of their hometown. Eventually. Uh, Something will just happen, and they'll be forced to, you know, change the the, the life that they're in. But uh, it all comes down to, I mean, sometimes, like we mentioned, things will slap you in the face, but you still have to make that decision and react. Um, But instead of trying to react to things, it'd be better just to act, right? I mean, people go do things and have a moment and get a little bit of a shift and then return back to their normal bullshit, and the normal bullshit will always win. Oh, yeah. You know, like, that's... Part of part of like that trip to Uganda, right? Like going before I went, I knew I had excitement around it. And not just because I'm getting to go on this trip, but like I know this trip's gonna shift me and my perspective as much as anything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And being open to whatever comes from it. And then when I come back, right? Like The worst part about a trip like that or ayahuasca or anything that's major shift in life or mushrooms or psychedelics or big travel or anything is people around you don't understand. It doesn't translate. Mm -hmm. 
There's a ton of shit that just doesn't translate third person. Yeah, um, you gotta be okay being misunderstood in a way, right? Quit trying to explain. Yeah. Right? Just embody the thing that changed in you. You know, and for me, that one's shifting a lot back to gratitude. You know, you know, kind of understanding really in the fullest acceptance of with my existence, like the fact that I have the luxury of pursuing things I'm interested in instead of having to stay alive. Mm-hmm. That's the greatest luxury that I could have ever been given. Mm-hmm. Especially if I go back to all the homo sapiens that have ever existed. None of us have got to do that. We're at such a small zero, 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 zero point, whatever percent. Mm. And I'm not going to fuck that up thinking that I need to fill someone else's cup, that I have some yeah. other expectation of what that's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. I'm just chasing mine. But I damn sure want to know what all of mine is. Mm-hmm. So the awareness is one part being, holy shit, I didn't pick any of the things I'm doing. And then the other part is saying, but that's where I want to fucking go. Yeah. And then you can fill out the actions in between. That's a powerful way to end it. What, uh, where can people find you, man? Uh, Notdeadyet.com. Notdeadyet.com. Mentorship group, all that. Like That is a weekly call with me on a different topic that we put together, and then we have kind of an open conversation, right, to actually Mm -hmm. communicate and be able to help each other. I have a private Discord server there. And then I host a few retreats throughout the year, like this hard reset that we've recently done. And we've got other meetups here in St. Louis. It's, I just want that community of people that are interested in free thinking. Some that want to get better. Some interest in half, half monk, half motherfucker. Yeah. I like, like I'm that. not fully passive. Right. But I'm, I'm, I'm That's not a shirt a, right there. Yeah. Or a hat. <laughs> right. And so kind of leaning more toward that and making sure that the years in front of me are the ones that I'm paying attention to. And not continually being led by what was. Yeah. So helping people transition to that next thing with the right perspective has been a lot of fun. And realizing that they can do it, it's just going to be a path. I feel like I need that on a (laughs) mug. If you do, send it my way. Half monk, half motherfucker. I'll read that while I'm sipping my morning coffee and reading some, uh, some bullshit uh also instagram where people find you it's it's uh yeah it's matthew p vincent um and then i've got not dead yet underscore brand not dead yet underscore podcast not dead yet underscore life there you go it's so much easier than what it was saying nine different things that are spelled bad yeah yeah i've always been so grateful that i mean you basically have this too with your personal instagram but that mine is just Brock Covington. It's God no damn it, dude. Matt no Vincent's a common name. I know. I know it's it is. Boring ass <laughs> name. I have to throw my middle initial into it. I still well, hate it. Is is the I was gonna say you got a double first name. Is the is the uh the middle name also a first name or is it a little Peyton. more? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Damn, three for three. I got a fucking hat trick of first names I'm running around <laughs> with. Well, it, it gave you the chance to kind of tell people whatever name you prefer, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just choose. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time, man. I'm glad we got to connect. This was definitely like a really uh, introspective conversation to have and I, I love having these conversations where we can talk more than just you know I, that's what I want this podcast to be is more than just you know another guy talking about how to train or how to lift or you know macro dieting or whatever I really want to talk about you know life about experiences about uh, different ways of looking at things and, and awareness and I think you know you were the perfect guy to, to expand and have this uh, little adventure of a talk with so I appreciate you taking the time and uh, yeah yeah, man, look, w- when we both already understand the benefits of the lifting thing, we don't have to talk about 
That's right. <laughs> That's we can right. just well, dive into the other parts that are really fun. Um, yeah. Dude, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Um, yeah. It, it really means a lot. Thank you for continuing to want to have me on um, despite course. my schedule. And, uh, dude, anytime you ever want to come out to St. Louis, come come hang out. I, I definitely uh, I'd be down for that. We, we drove through it when we were driving from Virginia all the way to uh, to Colorado. And that was one of the spots we stopped at, you know, under the uh, the arch and so forth. And uh, so pass through, pass through, but not not enough time, obviously, to enjoy the city. But uh, if you guys enjoy the podcast, make sure you check out Matt and all that he's doing there and not dead yet. Um, share the show. Let us know what you think. Uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one.